This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Is your doctor sending you for an ECG heart test as part of your annual physical? A new study says many of these tests are completely unnecessary. We'll talk to the study author. And the Bank of Canada has raised interest rates for the first time in seven years. Does that mean we should make changes in our portfolios? Author and investment advisor Gordon Pape joins us. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. The people at Guinness World Records are looking into a Salvadoran who is considered to be the world's oldest man. Juan Pablo Villalobo Maradega says he was born in 1901 and just celebrated his 116th birthday with his family. As of this past March, the world's oldest man was a 113-year-old Polish man named Israel Crystal. Older people who have trouble carrying on a conversation in a noisy room apparently have their aging brains to blame. A study by researchers at London, Ontario's Western University found older people have difficulty tuning out background noise in a loud room because their brains have a tougher time following speech rhythms and patterns during one-on-one conversations. The study also found younger people can more easily lock onto another person's speech patterns and block out irrelevant noise in a sea of sound. A Serbian woman gave birth to a baby girl as a pensioner at the age of 60 after trying to get pregnant for 20 years. But there's a twist to this story, which was reported in the Daily Mail. The mother's 68-year-old husband, Serif Nokic, changed his mind when he heard the baby screaming in the maternity ward and told his wife he was leaving because he was too old to put up with the crying. When asked about abandoning the new mom and daughter, Serif said, she got what she wanted, now she is happy. Actor-producer Tom Hanks is being honored by the National Archives Foundation in Washington with its Records of Achievement Award, recognizing his career supporting history through both acting and filmmaking. The foundation is honoring the Zoomer actor for his, quote, powerful illumination of the American story. Hanks will receive the award at the foundation's annual gala on October 21st in Washington. And the happy couple, Abby and Dustin Mershon of Mankato, Minnesota, got their dream wedding, but it was the flower girl who stole the show. 92-year-old Georgiana, the bride's grandmother, tossed a path of flower petals from her walker as guests cheered and applauded. Abby said she always wanted her grandmother to be the flower girl at her wedding. Who knows? This may be the start 
of a new trend. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Does your doctor send you for an electrocardiogram after a regular checkup? One in five low-risk patients gets this test despite clinical guidelines advising against routine ECGs. So says a new study published online in JAMA Internal Medicine. I talked to Sasha Batya, the study's lead author and director of the Institute for Health System Solutions and Virtual Care at Women's College Hospital. Sasha Batya, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, Libby. Okay, so um, what made you want to investigate how often people have ECGs, electrocardiograms? Well, there are guidelines now put out by the United States Preventative Task Force Group in 2009 that said that we should probably not do electrocardiograms in patients that are low risk because they might be unnecessary. We in Canada really hadn't ever looked at that issue before. In fact, it's something that has been a question because I know a lot of my patients and even family members have gone to their family doctor and had ECGs. And uh, so I wondered, well, how often does this actually happen in practice. And so that was sort of the impetus for us to go ahead and, and, and study this topic. Uh, most people, I think, would probably regard it as a standard kind of thing. And I know personally, even when I've gone to the doctor for something completely unrelated, they want me to take an ECG. Yeah, that's that's often what uh, I think ends up happening. So what we did in our study is looked at people who go for what we call an annual health exam or periodic medical visit, you know, a a visit that you go and you're generally well and you want to go kind of get a checkup, uh, I think is how most people think of it. And, um, you know, what the guidelines would say is that, you know, you probably don't need an ECG if you've got no real cardiac risk or cardiac risk factors. Um, But I think there's always been this perception that maybe we should just uh, check things out to be safe. And um, in our study, we actually found that, you know, 21% of Ontarians get ECGs that are a very low risk group of patients. And if they do get that, in fact, it's not as benign as we think. It leads to oftentimes five times higher risk of getting other tests like echocardiograms, stress tests, even invasive procedures like angiograms without any real impact on benefit, like reducing your risk of having a heart attack or a hospitalization. So even though it's a small thing, it may not be as benign as we think it is. The numbers here are quite staggering because it's 21.5% of 3.6 million. Yeah. That's a lot of electrocardiograms. It is a lot. And, you know, so oftentimes, I think when you initially started, you said, you know, this is a pretty standard thing. And that's, I think, the way most people think about it. When they think about, you know, unnecessary care, we often think about MRIs or CAT scans or really big, shiny procedures. But even little things can add up because there are so many of them. And then if they lead to other tests, that creates what we call a diagnostic cascade, which can lead to increased wait times, you know, higher costs to our healthcare system and potentially patient harm. Have you tried to put a number on, usually when they look at these things, it's how many adverse events did you prevent by finding this? Were there any at all? 
you know, to be honest, the numbers of both clinical events like heart attacks, episodes of revascularization, so bypass surgery or angioplasty or even hospitalizations was so low in both cohorts, meaning in people who got an ECG and who didn't, that we couldn't even tell statistical differences between the groups, despite the fact that there are 3.6 million people involved. So the number of actual bad events were quite low. And so it should just tell us that there's a lot of this stuff or ordering that's happening that's really not adding any clinical value to patient care. So uh, what do you want people to do? You want them to uh, question this next time doctor says go get one? Well, I think, you know, Part of the Choosing Wisely campaign is about having the conversation or encouraging the conversation between the patient and their provider about the kind of care that makes sense for that person. So we often say it's okay to, when you talk to your provider and they're going to have a treatment plan for you that might include testing, you can always ask the question, do I really need this? Are there other options? What happens if I don't do this test? And then have a conversation about whether it's right for you. Okay. Sasha Batya, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. That was Sasha Batya from Women's College Hospital in Toronto. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, we'll talk about the first interest rate hike in Canada in seven years and what it means for you. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back. This week, interest rates went up for the first time in seven years. Should that change your investment mix and the way you manage your money? I talked to financial guru and Zoomer magazine columnist Gordon Pape. I think there's a number of things that people have to be aware of. Uh, First of all, there's the fact that probably many of our listeners have what are called interest-sensitive securities in their portfolios, and that would include things like bonds, REITs, utility stocks, preferred shares, dividend-paying stocks, this sort of thing. And these securities will tend to feel some downward pressure during a period of rising interest rates. So what may well happen is that you will see the value of your portfolio overall uh, decline somewhat as interest rates go higher. It's not going to change the cash flow. It's not going to change the dividends you receive, that sort of thing. Uh, But it is going to uh, have an effect when you open up your uh, statement each month. And you may see that it's somewhat less uh, uh, in terms of total wealth than it was the month before. This is the sorts of things that I think people need to be aware of and uh, be prepared for when it happens. But do you think people should rebalance, maybe start getting rid of those interest-sensitive stocks? Well, it's difficult to do that. Uh, Remember I said bonds are also uh, subject to price deflation due to uh, rising interest rates. What you would normally do rebalancing a portfolio would be to switch some money from equities into bonds. But uh, in this particular case, that's not going to have the desired effect because the bonds are still going to be negatively affected by rising rates. So I think that in the circumstances, if you have invested from the point of view of generating income and your portfolio is doing that, then you really shouldn't be overly concerned. If you've invested for capital gains, then that's another matter, but you probably won't have as many interest-sensitive stocks if that's the case. Okay. um, Anything else you recommend people do in light of the interest rate hike? 
Well, there's a number of things. A lot of people have been hopeful that interest rate increases are going to um, have the effect of pushing up returns on uh, guaranteed investment certificates, uh, savings accounts, those types of cash investments. I don't think that's going to happen very quickly. As we've seen in the past, we've seen again this time around, the um, banks have been very quick to follow the federal government's lead in terms of raising rates to borrowers. So if you have a variable rate mortgage, for example, the rate just went up yesterday. If you have a fixed income mortgage rate, it's going to go up when you uh, come up for renewal. Car loans are going to be more expensive. Home equity lines of credit are going to be more expensive. Uh, That is inevitable. So in that case, what you want to do is obviously reduce your debt to the degree possible. And as far as the other side of the equation, that is the savings side of the equation, well, if you're really looking to invest in those kind of securities, uh, you're just going to have to wait a while until the banks get around to uh, maybe jacking up the returns a little bit and don't expect a lot. And do you expect further rate hikes? Yes. There's historical evidence that shows that once the Bank of Canada starts raising rates, it doesn't stop after one or two times. It continues on for what could be several years. The last prolonged rate hike started in 2004 and ended in 2007. And during that period, the bank raised its rates 10 times. The end result was a um, overnight rate, the bank's target overnight rate, that was more than double of what it was when they started out that process. I don't predict it's going to go up 10 times this time around, but certainly I suspect it will go up at least once again this year. I suspect we'll see another two or three rate increases in 2018. Uh, You have to look at what the bank said in terms of uh, announcing its uh, rate hikes. Uh, It had a very bullish outlook on the economy, not just the Canadian economy, but the global economy and the U.S. economy. That kind of positive outlook, plus the uh, historic results we've seen, clearly indicates that uh, this is not just a one-time thing. Okay, Gordon Pape, thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was investment advisor and Zoomer magazine columnist Gordon Pape. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, drummer Stuart Copeland celebrates his 65th birthday. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP. A new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review. All things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international arts datebook. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. On Broadway, a new theatrical version of George Orwell's 1984 comes with a warning. The nonlinear staging of this version at the Hudson Theater on West 44th Street includes strobe lights, sudden blackouts, jackhammer sounds, and extreme torture scenes, which have caused some people in the audience to pass out or become ill. Underway in Aix-en-Provence, the 69th Annual International Art and Music Festival which is devoted mainly to opera, but also includes concerts of orchestral, chamber, vocal, and solo instrumental music. At the Amphitheater in Verona, Italy, Aida is back on stage as part of the 95th edition of the Arena's Opera Festival. Aida was first performed there in 1913. And in Berlin, for the first time, the Neues Museum, thanks to a loan from the Shanghai Museum, is presenting an exhibition of ancient Chinese artifacts 
artifacts, many of which have never been seen before in Europe. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. This weekend, we're celebrating the 65th birthday of Stuart Copeland, one of rock and roll's best drummers and a co-founder of the band The Police. In 1976, Copeland was on tour with the British progressive rock band Curved Air. While performing in Newcastle, he met a former school teacher who was also an ambitious bassist looking to start a band. That bassist was Gordon Sumner, now much better known as Sting. The two exchanged phone numbers and then later hooked up in London, where they started the now iconic band that helped define the new wave movement. Stuart Copeland has always been a key member of The Police. His drumming is the backbone of the trio's sound, and just this year, Rolling Stone magazine named him the 10th greatest rock and roll drummer of all time. Right now, we'll hear Copeland and The Police with the group's biggest hit, Every Breath You Take. That was The Police with Every Breath You Take. Drummer Stuart Copeland is celebrating his 65th birthday this weekend. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Weekend Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. Produced by Dave Woodard, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.